Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Now I've got some exciting news today, exciting for me at least. Uh, this week I've got a very special guest coming in to talk with us. Um, my news is I'm going to be heading a new government task force that's going to be called the Small Business Digital Task Force. Basically I'll be looking at it, the digital tools available to small businesses of all kinds and I'm going to be looking at all the barriers that are stopping small business owners from taking advantage of those. Things like cloud-based accounting systems, website data point analysis, uh, point-of-sale systems, all the tools out there that help businesses be more efficient, more flexible, and help them grow, which means make money, and have more space in their life to do all those things they want to do outside of making money, whatever they may be. So, to talk about all that, and a whole lot more, this week I have the Treasurer, Mr. Scott Morrison, joining us on The Mentor. I want to ask him how this task force came about and what will be the next steps for it. And also, I want to find out a bit more about him and what makes him tick. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Australian Treasurer, Mr. Scott Morrison. Mate, can I call you mate or I have to call you Mr. Treasurer? Mate, ScoMo, whatever you like. Okay, ScoMo, <laughs> welcome to The Mentor. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, I, I want to start with this. Uh, we, some time ago, you uh, asked me to come and see you through your uh, through your staff, and I did, and uh you put to me a proposal about perhaps uh, me chairing a task force into an inquiry around small business and you know digitization of small business is a complicated word. Mm. Not, most people don't know what it means. Mm. Um, what was behind that, Scott? What were you thinking doing there? Well, first of all, the reason I called you is you've got a great track record of getting stuff done. I mean, you've obviously had great success in your own business life, but one of the reasons you've had that success is because you get changes happening in the economy, disruptions that happen in the economy. And we've got big ones happening at the moment. Of course, you've got things like Uber and the shared economy and all of that, but none of that would happen unless there was this big digital revolution happening in our economy. And uh, after last year's budget... One of the things we've been trying to do is, is look at ways that we get small businesses more part of what was happening in the digital economy and, and take advantage of the opportunities. And there weren't that many, frankly, regulatory impediments getting in the way. I mean, th- there may be one or two, but largely it was about small businesses being able to grasp the opportunity that was there for them. And I could think of no one better to, to basically understand that point and, and help us as a government work with small businesses to help them see that point uh, so they could be changing their businesses. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, businesses that are highly sort of into using the digital economy, they're eight times more likely to create a job. So that's the best reason there is. Good for the country. It's good for the country. And, and I, I, it's in a complicated 
it sounds complicated, digital. I mean, it's mm. it, it's not that much. It's not really that complicated, but it, it sounds complicated. And and what we're going to try and look at in the task force is, for example, why don't people do it? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we've got customers doing it. They all want to do it. At the retail end. Yeah, at the retail end. They're all moving into it, and we've seen them using cards more often. We're seeing them use even... Um, you know, digital forms of cards on their phones. Uh, they're obviously more and more shopping online. I mean, this is just where customers are saying they want to go. Uh, there are small businesses that are doing this, and they're doing really, really well. But there are others, as yet, who haven't uh, taken that step uh, to make the decision, to make the investment. And there's bound to be plenty of reasons why they're doing that. I think our task, and particularly the task that of yourself and the group you're pulling together, is to understand why that is and to try and break down some of those barriers so they can they can realise the opportunity. Now, like as you know, Scott, every I'm sure your research too. Just most consumers and/or people who are listening to this um, would be thinking to themselves, "Oh, yeah, what's in it for the government?" Um, and to be frank with you, and I'll say this to the audience, I wouldn't do this if there, if I thought it was just some sort of game that the government's playing to make them look good. Um, I don't really not interested in wasting my time either. And I'm convinced that this is not one of those processes. And I'm convinced actually that the government, the way I see it, is trying to work out a couple of things. And correct me if I'm wrong and add to it if there's more to yeah. say. But one, there could be a number of reasons why we want to use digital digital tools. It could be to become more productive. In other words, make more money. That's great. Um, All for that. Yep, <laughs> totally. It could be uh, just to make the same money, mm. but have more time to spend my family. That is a huge part of it. Yeah. Uh, a huge part of it. The, the, the amount of form filling in that small businesses have to do. Um, we've been trying to cut back on that. In the last budget, I announced a particular measure to do just that with state and territory governments. But, I mean, it's hard enough running a small business in a tough economy. Uh, but when you have your time taken away by needless paperwork, well, that's that's another burden itself. Uh, so I think this gives back a lot of time to small businesses um, and, and to, to spend it as they want to. Now, for some, for many, that'll be spending more time with the kids and the family and so on, which uh, is often robbed from them because of, uh, of their commitments to their businesses they're forming. Um, but it also means spending more time back on the things they love doing in their business. I mean, people go into small business because they love what they do. They mm. don't love filling out forms for the government. That's not why they do it. So it's this, this, I think you're absolutely right. It frees them up. And it's everything from, well, once your business is digitized and let's say using cloud accounting and things like that, there are firms out there now who can make all of this so simple for you. Uh, but it does mean that you've got to get your business into a, into a, a digital format. So they've got all the data, they've got all the information, they can process the loans, they can fill out the tax returns. And all of this can happen, and your bass, your GST. I mean, GST now, we've got down to, I think it's four lines. It used to be four pages. It's four lines now. Um, and uh, and if you're digital, it's even quicker. And if if and if people who are working, someone might be, because, you know, a lot of Australians are, are aspirational. I mean, we're one of the most aspirational countries in the world. Mm. People are sitting in a bank or they're working somewhere in government, perhaps, mm. thinking to themselves, you know, I really want to go into small business. But I hear all these horror stories about bass or... Mm. Blah, blah, licensing or, uh, you know, hours of opening, hours of closing or how I employ somebody or how I unemploy somebody. Mm. And if if somehow we can build a scenario around it's good to be in small business and there's no barriers to entry mm. and it's and it's a great lifestyle, yeah, 
if digital helps us get there, it's actually much better for our country, our economy. It frees up people. People feel as though all of a sudden they're unburdened yeah. and can go and do what they want to do. And by the way, some of these people have brilliant ideas yeah. and we could become, we could get some new great ideas to export from this country to other places, which is all about productivity. Mm. It brings us back to that core of how do we become more productive without working more hours. Yeah, well, that's what that's what it's supposed to be about, productivity. I mean, a couple of words, I think, that frighten people, productivity, reform, innovation. You know, these are words that policy makers, politicians and economists and others use. And, and they frankly, can be terrifying to people because they think it means they're going to lose their job, but it, it doesn't need to mean that at all. Um, what technology can do is help businesses and uh, it can help them be more productive. It can help them get more out of what you do every day. I mean, we did a big study this year in the Treasury, and it found that the more businesses invested in each worker, the more they got out of those workers. Um, and that's productivity. And people work in the same hours, but just being more effective in what they were doing because of the tools that they were being given, and particularly with technology. And so this is when – I, when I, if people hear me ever, me say, ever hear me say productivity – what I mean is more and better paid jobs. That's all it means. Uh, people uh, being in jobs uh, where they're getting better access to the tools they need uh, to be able to earn more. And uh, when the company earns more, then they should be earning more. Yeah, it's it's sort of an interesting uh, process because during during the build-up to this, um, I've been reading a lot of the material that the mm. Secretariat mm. Uh, has been sending into me. And it seems as though Australia, for some reason, whilst we are brilliant at taking up new technology at a consumer level. Yeah. For example, you just said using tap and go or just yeah. the way we use our mobile phones and Facebook and all that sort of stuff, buying on Amazon. We're not that great as a small business in, in taking up digital tools yeah. relative to the rest of the world. And I don't understand it, but I was thinking about it today. And I actually, one of the things that will come out of our task force inquiry is how this all works and segmentation of the small businesses, where they all fit. And I reckon part of it is, you know, like I, I come from a European background, is that a lot of people in small business in this country, at least in this city, and this is a, a, a reasonable survey I've been doing over the last three months, come from those ethnic backgrounds where it's you work in the business and you don't work on the business. In other mm. words, oh, mm. we've got greater uh, obligations, I've got to pay more interest to the bank or I've got to do whatever I've got to do, I'll work harder. Now, they're not working smarter, they're working harder because we've always taught, I was taught that, just work harder. And they get caught up inside the business and they can't take a step back and have a look at it. And what I think is good about this inquiry is that what I hope will come out of this, and I know this is what your department is hoping for, is that we can get them and give them the opportunity to educate them and help them step back and work on their business as opposed to working more time in their business. Uh, that's that's absolutely spot on. And, and what I, I know you'll be able to draw out um, and the rest of the members of the team is all these stories, not, not theories, but actual stories of businesses who've made these decisions and change their businesses, are employing more staff, are growing their businesses, are accessing more markets, and spending more time with their family at the same time, um, or in every whatever other way they want to do it. I don't know, go down, watch the footy, whatever they like to do. That's up to their, their business. But th that's what I think is is really the key here for people to, to be able to grab a hold of it. And you know, we, you know, as a people, Australians, we can be a bit cynical at times. Oh, what's in it for them, or why do they want to do this? They're, they're fair enough. They're fair enough questions. I know people do, do ask those questions but it's it's all about them on this occasion and if they do that i know it's going to grow the economy so it's it's win-win and also people will be happier 
Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, yeah. it's funny, you know. It's, Their team's still got to win at the footy, though. Well, we're going to talk about Cronulla today. <laughs> there's not much I can do about that. You but, can't talk about Cronulla today. <laughs> you, had your, you had your year of uh, Cronulla discussion last year. And by the way, I can't talk with the Roosters either. But, yeah. it, 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 but like, it's, it's for once, it's in the government's interest. Mm. For once, it mm. appears to be in the government's interest and in the interest of all consumers and all small business owners and the whole economy that everybody be happier. Because yeah. if 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 the if the people are happy, and right now we're getting hit politically with all sorts of stuff that's going yeah. on out there. I mean, you know, well, you you guys right in the middle of it all. I mean, it wouldn't be good if people just said this is something good being done here. I mean, this is for a change, something good for the economy, and actually people understood why it's good that this makes me happier because I've got more time. And you know what's interesting? If a guy who's running a small business goes home and tells his partner, whether it's a male or a female partner, mm-hmm. this and why this is why we're going to get more closer to the digital economy. Mm. All of a sudden, he becomes or she becomes a winner in their own family environment. Yeah. And explain to your kids, this yeah. is why I'm doing these sorts of things because mm. it's going to make our business more efficient. I can spend more time, as you say, going to spend, do Saturday mm. sport with you on Saturday, on yeah. Saturday, every, every weekend. But it is a gear change, isn't it, for the business? It's, it's a gear change that you've got to consciously do. You've got to sort of move into it, understand it. And so, you know, maybe people feel like they don't have the time to get their heads around this. But I think one of the positive stories out of people have done it is it's, it's actually simpler than you think. Totally, totally simple. Can yeah. I ask you something? What is the overall? government's um, thinking around digital economies, not just as it relates to small business, mm. because small business as a portfolio comes under Treasury, which is mm. you. Yep. But generally speaking, there's a broader initiative for the whole government, isn't there, around digitisation of Australia? Yeah, look, there is. And um, whether it's how um, you know how we process uh, people's welfare payments or how you do visas or um, how you interface with the tax office or all of these things. And, and what we're finding is that's uh, proving to be a really important tool to making sure the system does what it should do and it's helping the people it should be helping um, and at the same time not allowing those who are trying to take advantage of the system to do that as well. I mean with, with how you can use data these days and all these systems that's really helping uh, and, uh, and for small businesses out there doing the right thing every day um, to be able to better able be better able to access with the tax system or all these other areas than I think in one portal which we're you know moving to. I mean, there's a great project at the moment that uh, Craig Laundie's been uh, championing, and uh, Craig's working with you on this Correct. as part of the team. I mean, they are radically cutting down the number of days it takes to start a hospital hospitality business here in New South Wales, and they've done that as a partnership with the New South Wales government. And uh, uh, one of the initiatives from what we said in the budget, I said we would we would incentivise the state governments. Um, with additional payments if they go and cut small business red tape. And one of the things the New South Wales government is looking at in response to that is rolling out what Craig has already done in in a couple of local government areas to get these hospitality businesses up in just a few days and rolling it out over more parts of the state. So there's a a lot of low-hanging fruit here. (laughs) And... uh, and, uh, you guys are going to be the fruit pickers. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I met up with Craig last week, and yeah. uh, he was uh, very quick to inter- um, introduce himself as not being Stu Laundy, but to be Craig Laundy. <laughs> and, uh, and he is the uh, minister for uh, minister for industry, or the is that yeah, right? he's the assistant, the assistant, assistant minister for industry. industry yeah, correct, yeah. and uh, he sits under Arthur Sinodinus. That's right. Uh, yeah, um, being the uh, minister for innovation and uh, mm. industry, and uh, and. They actually explained to me some of the initiatives that they've set up in Canberra. They have a labs down there. I don't think yeah. the Australian people know this, but 
the government has massive infrastructure mm. and investment mm. in digitization mm. for not only small businesses but just generally across the nation right. and it's been a, a huge initiative and this one that he talked about this mm. is that you're talking about is this um, so-called coffee shop in Parramatta yeah it's about aligning local government state government and federal government in one place. That's it. So the coffee shop owner doesn't have to go to three different places and get stuffed around or run around all over the joint. They just go to one portal, yeah. one place, and all three are coordinated in one spot. Yeah. And I think it takes it's reduced something from 16 weeks down to two weeks, Yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, and you'll get it down lower. I know. Yeah, no, well, he's a pretty he's dogged sort of guy. And he'll get it down lower. And the more you do it with more councils, I think, you know, the better the practice gets. So um, I, it's a very exciting project. And it's a very practical project too. And I think um, what you'll be doing over the next few months, I think you'll be able to harvest a lot of those stories and then people can see that it's, it's just totally possible. And in fact, they'll probably go, gee, why haven't we thought about this earlier? And if that's what we achieve over the next few months, that we actually – uh, successfully through what you're doing, put the question to small business and say, give it some thought. Have a look at this. Think about it for a little while. Um, I'm sure they have, but um, at the same time, you know, something else comes along, you know, there's a bill that needs to be paid. There's a, you know, there's a problem out the back or, so, you know, and they can get distracted. That's, that's the nature they of small business. They revert to type. Yeah. So trying to help them and encourage them to sort of break through this digital barrier. On the other side, um, I think uh, everyone's going to be thanking them. Could I ask you, I mean, like, I, don't, I will be a cynic for a second because mm. I don't think it would be right if I didn't. Mm. It wouldn't look balanced. But why is the government doing it? But why are you doing this for people? I mean, what, what's, what's in it for you? Well, what's in it for me is that the economy grows. This is actually holding the economy back. I said a company that is um, really invested into this is eight times more likely to create a job. It's one and a half times more likely to grow its revenue. Um, this is for the productivity reasons that you talked about, more and better paid jobs. So that's, that's, that's the ultimate. Um, obviously, the more, the, you know, there are efficiencies for the government. I mean, you're able to, you know, run the tax system more effectively. You're able to run all the other payment systems that you are more effectively. And that means that, you know, it costs us less running, money to run all these things. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's a byproduct of this. But the main one is, is we want small businesses to be able to punch through. I mean, in, in the last budget, we handed down the, the, sorry, the one before, we handed down the biggest changes to the tax system for small business we've seen in generations. I mean, we now call a small business a business up to $10 million. It used to be two, increased it by five times. And that means they get to do their GST on a cash basis. They get to access pool depreciation. Um, they get to access the instant asset write-off, which is that you know they can spend up to twenty thousand dollars on a piece of equipment, and you know that can be a, a small vehicle for a real estate business for someone who they've just taken on to manage the rental role or something like that. Uh, you know it can be a it can be a three D printer for a high tech company. Um, so this means they can immediately write it off. Um, and so by opening that up and then giving them a lower tax rate and their tax rate's going to 25%, it's already at 275 down 2.5%. We are really investing in small business because we know these are the guys who and, and girls who are running businesses all around the country in every community, in every town. They're the ones creating those local jobs. And uh, we, we just want to take the monkey off their back, basically. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... Uh Small business has sort of come into its own all of a sudden. Mm. It was sort of the, you know, it was uh, nearly the forgotten people. It was mm. uh, Menzies. It was. <laughs> it was the Menzies one, uh, yeah. middle class who didn't get a, didn't get a listen to. Yeah. Weren't, le weren't heard. 
But it's and well, it's, nothing's changed. We still got to listen to them totally. Yeah. And uh, it's it, they employ you know earlier on I talked about they employ sixty percent of the population mm. outside of outside of public enterprise. Mm. So in private enterprise, they employ sixty percent of all employees in this nation. They pay mm. all the super. Yeah. They uh, they pay the PAYG tax. They collect it and pay it to the government. Yeah. They do a lot for this country. And you know often we hear about you know I've heard you know politicians refer to them as the engine room of the nation. Mm. But what's good is it's we're actually doing something about it. Well, well, that's right. That's I'm, important. I mean, that, that, you're just talking about how many people they employ. When we move that threshold from 2 million to 10 million, 2.2 million additional employees were now defined as working for a small business. Right. 2.2 million Australians. Out of 11 million employed or something. That's what? right. That's and then lot. And the tax cuts that we've all, now extended up to businesses of 50 million, now more than half of Australians working um, are working for a business that pays will be paying a lower rate of tax. But the first ones, the first cab off the rank, or you know, or the first Uber to show up, I suppose you've got to say now, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, was small business. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, so are there any other nations in the world that um, you're modelling this off? I mean, are, are, is, there a, is there a nation in the world where you think, wow, they're doing a bloody great job when it comes to... Oh, look, it's patchy. Um, there are some, like in the United States, it happens because of scale. I wouldn't say mm. it necessarily happens because of any you know particular government initiative. Um, in Singapore, they've been pretty... You know, yeah. lean forward on this, and I've spoken to the uh, the Singaporean, my counterpart up there in Singapore, about what they're doing. Um, you know, it happens. You know, in places it's in the UK, um, they've put a lot of investment more on the financial technology side of this, just like we have, and we've picked up a lot of those areas. I mean, that's an area that I think will be important. All of this. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I announced that we're moving to comprehensive credit reporting uh, from the first of July of next year. That's, and that's for initiative. all of the banks. Now, as you know, this means. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you particularly know, you know, that this means people lending out there in the market as get, uh, get access to people's positive credit histories, which means they can get a better deal. And that's great if you're looking to buy a home. But if you're a business and you marry that with what's happening with financial technology and all these new um, business lending products that are coming out of those new startup fintechs and so on, good data, good product means you're going to be able to get finance and small business in the future where I suspect you've been quite frustrated by the big bank you know, um, options which aren't don't always suit you. They always suit them, but totally. they don't always suit you. Now, I don't want to speak too ill because they will have products and I've, I have noticed them move on these things. And that's good that they're moving on these things. But nothing like competition, nothing like putting that fire under the... Well, one of the things, that, one of the things which is I think is very important to me anyway, and I know it's important to the panel that we put together, and we've got two two really good, well, we've got great panelists mm. from everywhere, but we've got two relevant ones on this particular part of the topic, and that yeah. is we have Pip Marlow from Suncorp, and we have Spiro Pappas from NAB, and uh, they represent the banks within both banks broadly, their innovation and product, et cetera. Yeah. But both of those want to lend money to small business owners. And one of the things that's coming out about this inquiry is how do we tell – a small business owner, what are the tools you need to have in place day one so that when you come to borrow money, not now, you're not trying to borrow money, but when you come to borrow money in a year's time or two years' time, when you need some money, you have everything we, the banks, yeah. want you to have and and in a format we want you to give it to us so that we can actually immediately approve your loan. Yeah. And that's important because if these small businesses can't borrow money, they can't expand. That's all the right. small boys, they all want money. That, that's, yeah. that's, that seems to be across the board. They all want yeah. some money. So what I'm trying to do here is make sure that we can get our bankers who are on the panel to tell us at the task force, what is it that we need to put in place for mm. small businesses 
in a digital form mm. that allows them and empowers them mm. to be able to borrow money and actually maybe even, mm. God for sake, be able to negotiate a deal, yeah. negotiate a rate maybe. Yeah. Well, you are, you are in the engine room of one of the biggest disruptions of the home loan market that Australia ever saw. Well, you were. Yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest disruption. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, what can happen here is a similar thing for small business. And, and the technology enables it, the government understanding the role data and the other things that need to be around that to, to support them uh, understand that. Uh, we've got the new payments platform, um, which comes into place at the end of January next year. Now, I mean, this is an exciting development uh, that the Reserve Bank um, has been um, working on now for some years. And this is a, I mean, our, our, our banking system doesn't work on a sort of a 24-7 basis in terms of money moving around. As you probably know, when you're you know, looking to pay, do a transfer on a, on a Friday after five o'clock um, and you know it doesn't pop into the other person's account until Monday. Um, I find it, find it strange in this country that, that computers keep um, office hours. I don't know if they go to the footy on the weekend. I'm not sure playing fantasy football, perhaps. I don't know. But um, that changes from the end of January. And with, we're moving to a real-time payment system in our banking system. And, you, and that's another huge building block for all of this, I think, to work. But you were talking about people on the panel. Um, the other person I want to mention, of course, there's uh, Jude Schenkel, who's with Tyro, yep. and he gets all that as well. But Sue McCluskey, uh, Sue worked uh, with us on uh, the Harper Competition Review, and she comes at it from a, a regional point of view, an ag agricultural point She's of view. She's a farmer. She's a farmer. And, uh, and, you know, she knows what's going on she in regional sure Australia. So this isn't about just as, as important they are coffee shops, uh, you know, in whether they're in Cronulla or, or Bondi or, or Parramatta. Um, uh, this is also about, you know, uh, small ag businesses in, in Tamworth or in, in, uh, in, in Albany or, 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 you know, it's regional and rural Australia. And Sue, I think, will add a, a real good dimension to that. Well, she's got great depth, too, in terms mm. of um, navigating government. Mm. She seems to understand that process, whereas mm. a couple of us in the banking side of things don't. Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting the way um, all these parts fit into each other. Um, I mean, it, it took some time to put the panel together mm. with the assistance of your department. Um, mm. And uh, and and finding you don't want to be too heavily weighted, as you say, in cities, yeah. Because regional Australia not only employs a lot of people, but actually, you know, the farms in particular, mm. and all the things that surround the farmers actually uh, produce everything that we eat, and it runs the economy. Yeah. And I'm a farmer; I have a farm, and I know what it's like in a regional environment, mm. and I know how tough it is in those environments. So, getting someone like Sue McCluskey on mm. board was great. I didn't; she's only just recently become gone back to being a farmer, though. Yeah. About like the last couple of years, we've had a pretty busy doing some yeah, other totally, things. Totally, <laughs> So she, she, and so her experience. I only met her the other day for yeah. the first time. She's brilliant. And yeah. what we're trying to do here, um, treasurer, in terms of the panel, and we've had a couple of meetings now, is what we're trying to do here is actually give a a broad based, balanced view to you mm. about why Australian small businesses, whether they're regional, whether they're farmers mm. in agri, or whether they're running coffee shops wherever, or panel beaters, or mm. plumbers. It doesn't matter. Or new tech startups. Absolutely. We're trying to give a view to you as who uses digital um, tools, um, what are they, and how do we break that up in both in demographics, in other words, uh, what their social upbringing is, uh, what how much money they earn, um, in mm. via, via categories of, of of revenue, via categories of region, via categories of. Um, uh, you know, businesses that you're in, whether it's agriculture or coffee shops or retail or whatever it is, we're trying to give you a view as to all the categories as to who uses it, who doesn't use it, why they don't use it, 
when people do use it, what's the effect of that being done to their business? What, yeah. are the, what is the experience they have? And then how do we take the best practices of all those good outcomes and transfer it over to those people running small businesses to either get more time in their life or make more money? Yeah. How do we transfer that knowledge across? Yeah. That's what we're going to try and do for you. That's what we want to do. And that's what hopefully we're only just started, but that's, yeah. that's our outcome. Well, one of the other reasons I, I, I particularly ask you to do this, Mark, because I knew you'd bring people around you like, you know, who think like you along these lines is, you know, this isn't just going to be a normal inquiry. You know, you're not going to turn up to, a, you know, a hall and there'll be the microphones at the table and the, the officials and everyone will put on a stern face and take evidence. Yes or no, sir. Yeah, that's, that's not your style, thankfully. Um, this is supposed to be, I'm hoping, a new way of running these sorts of inquiries. I mean, it, this is a two-way street here. And I know you, you and your team are going to really try to engage people. It's like, you know, through the, for the forum, we're talking through, through your podcast right now or through other digital channels or other ways we can get the message to where small business people are. Uh, to, to engage them on the topic. So it's as much about trying to work out what the answers are as, as having a pretty direct conversation with people in formats where they are and you know, not expecting people to sort of trudge out from wherever they are and come in, put their suit on and appear before a panel and give some evidence. No, this, is, this will be done quite differently. And we're going to go and see them too. Yeah. And we're going to put, on, we're going to put a hackathon on. We've got a couple yeah. of hackathons um, organised where we set the problems and we say, give us the solutions. Tell us what you think. Yeah. How can we solve it? How mm. can you solve it? And let us know and run run competitions around this. Mm. Mm. Scott, like, it's, uh, we talked about the official stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to go to the break because uh, like every good business, we're going to do a commercial. Sure. And, uh, but when we come back for the break, I actually want to talk to you about a number of things around Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison, the guy. No worries. Okay, we're back. We're back with the treasurer, Scott Morrison, and um, we talked about the businessy sort of stuff. That's all good, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Facebook Live, Triple M Facebook Live later. But I actually want to ask the treasurer a little bit of personal stuff, if that's all right. Is that all right? That's all right, mate. Well, uh, as a kid growing up, um, well, okay, where did you grow up? I I grew up in Bronny. I went to Clovelly Public School. Bronny was a bit different when I was growing up up in, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, a lot like uh, where I live today, actually, uh, in the Where's Shire, uh, down in the Shire, uh, down down with Port Hacking. And um, very similar. I mean, when, when I grew up in Bronny, um, you know, my dad was a policeman. Mum worked as a, in administrative sort of jobs, and so they both had, had to work. And... Um, at that time, and you know, the friends you know lived in rented flats, and and uh, you know, the lot of tradespeople used to live down that part of the eastern suburbs at the time. Um, and uh, you know, life was great. I mean, I had a wonderful upbringing with my, my family. We actually had to live with my aunt. Um, she had a place. Her husband had passed away many years before, and my parents moved into there with them. I mean, housing affordability is not a new phenomenon. It's always totally. been, and that was going back a really long time. And uh, so we grew up there, you know, with, with my aunt living out the back part of the house, and, and us living down the other part of the house. And how many in your family? Um, I got an older brother. Um, he's a, he's a paramedic. Um, you know, really proud of him. Um, he's done. Great job, Keeps, kept me on the straight and narrow as often as he could when I was young. Your parents um, still alive? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they, they still live over. They still over, live over in Brody. Um, oh, really? But they downsized. They went moved into a into an apartment, and um, you know, mum and dad have been great. Dad still loves his footy. Um, um, we had a great moment. We went. 
it was uh, Southern Districts, so you know I'm a big supporter of Southern Districts, and they were playing Randwick. And this uh, is in rugby union. In rugby union, yep. yeah. And and Dad played for Randwick all those years ago in reserve grade and that sort of thing. So he liked going down there. So my brother and I and, and Dad, because Dad hasn't been that well lately, we went down there and we watched the game. And I'm glad Southern won right on the bell. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it, it was just a, a great time to get together as a family. Sport was always a thing that sort of sort of binded my brother and my. My, my, my dad and I, you know, as well as, you know, our, our church life and things like that. And mum was always there supporting us always. She's, you know, she's an amazing woman. So, 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 uh, from humble beginnings mm. in living with your auntie and Bronte mm. and, uh, then going, becoming the treasurer of the whole country. I mean, like that's a pretty big deal. Well, mum and dad had a fair bit to do with that as well, because, um, look, dad was, a uh, he was on the local council at Waverley. And he was on there, I think, about 16 or 17 as a years. Yeah, as a councillor. Well, as an alderman, as they used to yeah, call yeah. them back then. Yep. And uh, and it, he was one of, the, I think there was another fellow, the, the, they changed the rules in New South Wales where if you were a police officer, or I think, or a school teacher or something like that, particularly a police officer, you were never allowed to run for local council. So they changed the rules. And so dad was approached because, you know, he'd been pretty involved in the local community and, and he ran. And uh, he did that for quite a long time, was mayor for a short period of time. But um, so he was always pretty much working all the time. And so in the afternoons, all the constituents would ring up the house and my brother wouldn't answer the phone. Um, so I, I would, so I was sort of like his electorate secretary when I was like nine years old, writing down all their complaints about uh, traffic and goodness knows what. And I'd pass them on to dad. Um, when he, when he got home, and I'd sit there and talk to these people on the phone for a while. So I had a pretty early training and um, listening to people's problems, and uh, I learned pretty uh, pretty early that you got to do more listening than talking. Was it was he a liberal? Oh no, he was an independent. Back independent. then, the Liberal Party didn't contest um, a local government election, oh, right. so he he was an independent. Um, you know, the entire time he, he was on council, uh, and remained so. I think there was in the last election that he stood for, the Liberals ran, but he ran on his own and he beat him actually. <laughs> well, and I, and I, 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 as I understand, you went to, you went to Sydney Boys. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And at what point did you realise or think to yourself, you want to be in politics? I mean, how, how did that all sort of come out? Because I mean, I'm intrigued by that. Well, early early on, I mean, I did spend a lot of time with my dad when he's, because he, you know, as a police officer, he was very busy. Um, he, he worked at the CIB. He was a fingerprint expert back in the days when they wow. were part of the... And, you know, so he was at crime scenes and all those sorts of things. And he was also, dad and mum were both very involved in their local church. Um, uh, what was a Presbyterian then, but Uniting Church up at Bondi Junction. They were on the parish council. They ran a thing called Boys and Girls Brigade, which is like scouts and guides and that. So they, they did that for 45 years, every Thursday and Friday night for 45 years. They were pretty committed people. And so Alan and I, my brother and I, we were sort of brought up that life was about service. Life was about, you know you know, contributing. Um, and, uh, so that was ingrained pretty early on. And I, um, so my brother sort of followed my father into the, you know, the, uh, the services and he became a paramedic and, uh, cause dad was a policeman and I sort of followed him in the other way in, in politics. And I suppose I got a taste for it when I was very young. I could see how passionate dad was. I mean, one of the, one of the things he stood on when he first ran was they wanted to put a big pub down at Bronnie beach. Um, you know, like, you know, Selena's Coogee Bay hotel, yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. And he was horrified, and because Bronnie was about families, 
uh, coming down on a weekend and, you know, he didn't want... I'm not, I've got nothing against the pubs, don't get me wrong. Craig Laundie, yep. sorry, mate. Um, but um, He would have ended up owning it <laughs> he, probably, he probably would have ended up owning it. But nevertheless, I mean, there's a place for that at some beaches and, and Dad just had the view, not at Bronnie, this is a family beach. And um, the fact that Bronnie to this day is that sort of, you know, nice little family beach and parking's still a nightmare and all the rest of it, but it, it retained that character and... You know, I'm really proud of him doing that. And so, was your dad a tough dad? And being uh, a policeman, was, I mean, that's what it's conjuring up. But I mean, yeah, he was pretty. Look, no, he, he's a loving dad, but he, he also didn't take any BS yeah, 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 <laughs> either. Yeah. He, he he could see could see through a witness, that's yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, was, or a crook. Dad always used to say, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how how clever crooks are, they have to use stupid ones as well, and that's how you catch them. Um, and so he was he was pretty good at you know being real about life. And and real about your responsibilities and your loyalties, uh, and uh, and that you you know that's what life was about. So he, you know he's a great example of me. As as was Mum. They, they look they were they didn't you know, they do everything together. They support each other absolutely. And uh, so not only just a great role model that way, but a great role model role model as a as a married you know Couple. partnership. Um, you know they they taught me a lot about that too. So you know I'm. I'm Happily married 27 years later, um, thanks to the good graces of my wife, Jenny, but more than anything. Did you meet the, her? Is she a school a, a school. No, she grew up or? in, she grew up more where we are now. She grew up in St. George, uh, in Perkest uh, South, and um, we met through um, our church uh, when we were quite young, actually. We were high school sweethearts, too, and, and uh, got married when I finished university. Yeah. So, and still married 27 years, mm. and, and family? Yeah, we've got two little girls. Um and they are just, you know, the center of our lives, as, as two little girls always are. Um, and as a dad, you know, all those guys who said, oh, you know, I want to have boys and that sort of thing. If you never had girls, you don't know what you're missing. Well, I know. I try. <laughs> I kept trying to end up with four boys. I didn't end up getting a girl. It's, can, it's and, great both ways either way. But, uh, you know, it's it's worth going to all the, you know, netball games and things. I've become now a netballer dad and aficionado. And a, we've got this great, I mean, Andrew, I mean, it's not Andrew, but Eddinghausen's is this dance studio down there in the shop. Well known. They're do a fabulous job and my girls started there this year and so I'm now at Eddinghausen's dad too. <laughs> so can I ask you a question? Like, one of the things I, I thought about this morning is that one of the things I love to do is, um, well, put it another way, we live stressful lives and yours life would be extraordinarily stressful and I'm, I'm not here to make excuses for it but I just know, you know, when you're in the public environment, it is stressful and a lot of people would be saying, oh, he's a treasure, how easy it is for him. It's not. I can tell, you know, as as the treasurer walked in this morning, before he came in, he's had to listen to a whole lot of stuff, um, you know, via his uh, iPad um, in order to keep up to date with someone, something, a question that he might get asked today, I guess. But, I mean, so the life is full on. It's full on treasurer. Uh, the treasure life is full on. So I have my life as well. It's fairly stressful, and I'm in the public eye a little bit. And uh, and I run businesses equally stressful for different reasons. Are and one of the things that I do to balance my life, and I'd like to know what your view on it, mm. is, is just the little small things. Ah, oh, you're right. That's all that matters to me. Yeah. You know, like this morning I had a cup of coffee, and I was actually I'm lucky enough to be able to look at the sea, and I, and I just had a cup of coffee, and that's it. And and to me, I'll do anything. I went to bed thinking tomorrow morning that's what I'm going to do, go and do before I go and uh, yeah. do the podcast with the treasurer. Yeah. And one of the things I miss, Scott, is. Uh, having little kids around me yeah. because I'm lucky enough I just had a, my, one of my sons just had his first child so I've got a grandson awesome. he's only seven, six, seven weeks old but he's a bit young to yeah. get him out of him yet <laughs> but in a very selfish way your children how much 
I mean, they just give you these little pleasures. These little, just it's just a moment. Yeah, but it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, look, that's true. We um, over time, you sort of learn to build things into your routine. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, that that can be disrupted from time to time. But uh, a thing I started several years ago actually is um, I decided I was going to learn how to cook curries as as a thing that on a Saturday night. If, you know, if I'm home, which I try and make sure I am home on a Saturday night, regardless of what's going on, uh, then I'll, I'll cook the kids a curry. And, and they, they started off not liking curries that much. Now they look forward to it on a Saturday night. And so that's just a family time Ritual. and watch a movie. The other night, um, Jen was having a, a well-earned night out with her friends. And, and so it was just the girls and I. So um, some blokes, they get a shriek, I suppose. But there I cooked my girls some curry and then we sat down and we watched the Taylor Swift concert from the 1989 tour, and which they we actually went to together, and we relived that moment. Those things are special, um, very it's special. Important to help balance things. Well, it? it does. It gives you perspective, and kids are honest. Um, yeah, with you, and they keep you real, and which my kids certainly do. And uh, I mean, another thing, one of my younger kids came, my youngest came with me uh, to the Remembrance Day service we had in um, at Martin Place just the other weekend, and that was special. She came with me. We walked down to the to the, the cenotaph together, we laid the wreath together, and that's also about her seeing. You know, sometimes they see what's on television, sometimes they don't. They're young kids; they're eight and ten, so you know, they're thankfully not that interested in politics. But you know, they're aware of it, and but they also see the other stuff we do, um, like remembering our fallen, and they see what. You know, they sometimes come to me with some community things I do locally. We had a big thing on the, in the Shire on the weekend, our Cook Community Classic, which has been running for a decade. It's raised a million dollars for local charities and sporting organisations. And it's a great big fun festival down there at Cronulla Beach and with the nippers. And, and, and they see all that. So they see that politics, just like I saw, hopefully, with my dad, what he was doing. And I understood what he was doing. It wasn't that he wanted not to be with me or be away. He was doing what was he believe was important in life and um hopefully you know you communicate that to your kids and and you do it in a way that you have a lot of fun with them at the same time it's you know it's rare it's rare that um well it's always said and it's rare that i'd ever do this but people talk about don't go into politics or religion but Mm. um or animals for that matter but uh (laughs) i guess religions we we, you know i'm talking to a politician and obviously religion's important to you and 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 you know, at a spiritual level, in a in a in a belief sense, I'm also like that. I, I have strong beliefs in, in religion, um, it, it strong religious beliefs. I'm not a part of a religious group, but I have strong beliefs in Christianity. Mm. Um, um, and you were saying brought you were brought up in that environment, as mm. I was. Mm. I brought up a Catholic with with my my mum. My mum's Irish Catholic, mm. um, but. It becomes an important part of your life. It's not just, it's not about Bible bashing though. Mm. I mean, for me anyway, yeah. it's about that sense of belonging and that groundedness. And uh, to be honest with you, it's just comfort. Yeah, look, I, very I mean, faith's been a big part of my life since I was very young um, and, uh, and, re- and remains to this day, but it's not about politics. And I'm always a bit reluctant uh, when the two come together but sometimes that's unavoidable Mm. Um, like at the moment I mean I'm very keen to see that there are strong protections in place um, for for people of religious faith and you know if if one religious faith is not protected then none are so it isn't about protecting you know Christianity or particular part of Christianity or giving that some special place it's everybody's faith and belief it's part of being a free society Um, you know we've we've settled the issue of same-sex marriage now Thank, you know, that's done. That's, mm. So there's no more debate on that. That's happening. Done. Over. 
But uh, that doesn't mean there aren't other issues we need to look at. And so, look, my faith informs that. But uh, it's a big part of my life, but it's not a political agenda. It's, it's not why I went into politics to, to, to pursue, you know, some sort of theocracy <laughs> um, for Christianity. That's not my point. It's just it, it informs who I am. And uh, it's a big part of, of, you know, my family life and, um, and my community life with the local church I go to. They give me tremendous strength and support. And I really appreciate it. I have people contact me all the time and say, I've been praying for you um, it happens all over the country, and I'm tremendously encouraged by that. But again, they're, they're not saying they're voting for me. They're saying they're praying for me, and I much more value their prayers at the end of the day. Yes, that's sort of interesting, you know, because uh, I, mean, I think that people look at treasurers, and a lot of people look at me too, and they sometimes they think we're a bit bulletproof and uh, or we're cold-hearted and we're just driven and we don't, you know, nothing matters and nothing's going to get in our way and we're going to continue on. And even the mm. Prime Minister, I know the Prime Minister mm. has the same sort of resolve. Mm. But there are times... Are there times I ask you where you think to yourself, "What am I doing all this for?" Like, and then something redeems you back into it. Oh, that happens. I think often. Uh, I mean, it, politics is a pretty robust and willing environment, and and um, look, you don't. I, I didn't go into it with my eyes shut either. And um, you know, people will make judgments about you. Uh, they'll make judgments which are often misinformed, either um, innocently or willingly. Um, that's just half of the course. And if you can't deal with that, then you shouldn't be in politics. I, I, um, Bob Outerside was a former Wallaby um, and he was this headmaster of Sydney Boys High and he was our footy coach when we were there. At, and uh, he used to talk, didn't matter what the conditions were on the field, whether it was windy, blowy, rainy, muddy, you still had to go out there and play on that field. And you don't get to complain about the conditions. Uh, you just have to get on and do your job. And look, we've had a pretty tough last six months in politics. Um, a lot of distractions. The citizenship thing came out of the blue. Um, you know, that's no fault of the government, but there it is. You've got to deal with it. Other things have happened. Uh, there's lots of pressures. But uh, look, you just got to know what you're about and keep focusing on what you believe is important. And for me, particularly in this job, I love this job. Despite all of that, I absolutely love this job. Um, I love what I'm able to do each day. I I love it when I go and open a business. I went, there was a business we opened in the show the other week, um, J.A.R. Autos, Aerospace, J.A.R. Aerospace, that was the name of it. Four young guys at a university in New South Wales, I think they'd gone to Joey's actually, and um, in their fourth year, they'd sort of set up this incubated business in the University of New South Wales incubator. Now they've, um, they've got a backer. They've now set up in, a, in, a, in an industrial premises in Caring Bar. They're manufacturing drones. And I saw that. I saw drones. The Mate, it's awesome. And they, they want to be the, have the best drones in the world. They do. And for military applications, for you know, postal delivery. And, you know, it, it, I was so enthused by these guys. And, and, and his dad, he, sorry, his granddad um, owned Northies back in the 70s. Oh, Northies. Which, <laughs> which was even. I worked there. Yeah. <laughs> I worked there. I was a barman in Northies. And so there was a nice little connection with the family as well to the area. And um, that's what. When I when I, that's a great day in the office. Yeah, we we need more of those yeah. days. I mean, and, and what's interesting about those guys, and and you know, one of the things that's going to come at the task force is that we're going to find that guys between twenty and thirty yeah. are much much more likely to upskill themselves and adopt technology as part of their business as a yeah. startup than yeah. anyone over thirty. Yeah. It's quite an interesting, and I guess these guys are somewhere between twenty and thirty are they yeah. in that sort of territory. You know, yeah. they they they'll have a crack at anything, and that's well, a real Australian thing. Well, it is. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, and um and you know, I've heard, you know, you present your story and, and how, you know, that was always a big part of who you, what you were and what you were about. I mean, if I go back to, you know, when I was leaving high school, the idea 
um, you know, partly I suppose because of family upbringing and other things, the idea of going and opening your own business rather than, you know, getting through university and then going and working for an organisation that was, you know, they were the career paths were sort of seen a bit differently from my perspective at that time. So that's why I get excited now when I look at young people going, oh, I could go to uni, I could start a business. I could, when we've got an economy where people are thinking about those choices. Now, it's not going to be for everyone because, as we know, one in 10 of these businesses survive. Mm. But I'm, I'm back in JR. They're going to be <laughs> at one in 10, I'm, I'm quite certain. It would be good to be actually if we could somehow increase the survival rate of these organisations or these small entrepreneurs sure. and hopefully you know, helping them with these sort of initiatives, mm. these digital initiatives actually yeah. will actually smooth the way for them. I mean, we've yeah. got to keep encouraging them. And you're doing it anyway with mm. um, tax breaks and tax rebates yeah, yeah. and R&D, R&D uh, refunds, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I, they've I got to back themselves at the end of the day. And, and they've got to have people who are going to back them and uh, – uh, these guys had a great backer, and it's a it's a terrific story because um, the young fella uh, Jack, and his name is, he went and worked for a sales uh, business because he knew that he was a bright fella, but he knew he to be successful in business, he un- he needed to understand sales. So he had the discipline to go and submit himself to go and work in a business that was going to teach him those skills, and the owner of that business is now his financial backer. Not surprising because he went, he's smart, he's switched on, he knows what he wants to do. Um, that sounds like a sound bet to me. So, mate, the the opportunity is treasure it to see a lot of these stories, which a lot of Australians don't get to see, is a real thrill for me. And um, But it's not just in that area. You know, I've worked in social services. I've worked in different other portfolios. And you get to see a lot of difficult things as a politician, not unlike, you know, Dad used to spend almost all of his working life seeing the, the dark side of, of, of society as a policeman. But he also occasionally used to get to see the, you know, the beautiful side of society. And, and I get to see that as a politician all the time, and whether it's locally or anywhere else around the country. And that's why you get up the next day and go, I'm into it. That's why you decide to keep um, you know, pursuing this life. Um, and hopefully you know, it's, it's making that benefit that you, that you, you seek to, to, to make it add. I, I, working in the, in the public service, whether you're a policeman or a politician, I often think to myself, as an entrepreneur, the risk for reward, or the reward for risk, I should say, is not a fair equation. And I often think to myself that people in your role, and or policemen or Ambos or Mm, whatever they are, um, must have a different view on life and that they are prepared somehow in their as they've been brought up socially developed, they're prepared to give back a lot more because you have to have something more driving you than going to work for your paycheck because at the end of the day, running, you're running the biggest business in Australia. I mean, it's, you know, you're running a, mm. a trillion and a half business. Yep. There's no other business in Australia that does yep. that. And relative to what your counterparts at BHP or mm. one of the banks, for example, gets paid, yeah. It's the, the the money's not 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 fair in terms of the reward and risk involved. So there must be something greater that's driving you and the prime minister for that yeah, matter yeah. and all politicians. What is yeah. it? It's it's the privilege to. It sounds twee, but it's actually true. It's just the privilege and honour to serve. That's what it comes down to. I have the opportunity every day uh, to do things that I know can help people, to take decisions that sometimes are difficult, but I know in the country's better longer term interests. And, you know, you've got to step up into that space. And, and while that can be difficult, 
there is a sense of satisfaction away from the cameras, away from all of that, and you're sitting there on your balcony on a Friday night having a you know a local brew or something, and you go, yeah, it was a good day. And there yeah. are plenty of plenty of shockers too, but um, like there isn't anything. But it, look, it doesn't really matter what you choose to pursue in life, whether it's a successful entrepreneur, and, and you know the stories, and you're one of them. But um, you know people have been very successful in life, their capacity to give back and the fact that they do often very quietly, not seeking yeah. a lot of attention on it, um, is extraordinary. So everyone's making their impact uh, and we all use our skills where we think we can and uh, uh, hopefully I've made that the right choice and yeah. I, I think from the evidence to date, I've got a reasonable case to make. Um, but I think in, in public service, uh, I suppose like in business too. I mean, you've got to just got to try and main, manage a sense of humility about these things and just remain focused on the task and, and just keep looking for that next thing you need to do um, because uh, it's the public will rightly say is not what have you done for me, but what have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> As someone yep. famously once said, I think it was Kerry Packer. Yep. But um, the public, you know, have every right to ask that question of politicians, um, every single right. So I don't mind that pressure because I think it's fair enough. It's an interesting point you made earlier, um, just then. Um, the difference, though, I think, Scott, between entrepreneurs and giving back mm. and politicians giving back is entrepreneurs, I'm one of them, we tend not to give back until later on in our life. Um, all we're doing is chasing our own objective day one. Um, and maybe once we make it, we start to give back. Politicians give back from day one. They're, they're giving from the moment they start because that's their job. You're well, in. Yeah. This, you're, you're giving service. I mean, we, we we think about what we want to, how we can give back. We're, we're so busy and focused doing what we're doing. It's not a. Our job doesn't involve giving back. It involves employing people and doing new things and mm. innovation and new initiatives and all that sort of stuff. That gives to the economy. Oh, I wouldn't give yourself such a. I mean, it took me. It was, I didn't enter politics till I was just just about forty, and I actually think that's not. a... I mean, different rules for different people, I suppose, but. Where, where, where politicians have had a, you know, a, a, a life outside of politics first before entering, that that often I think helps uh, with how they're able to contribute and what they're able to do. But you know, I've seen people come in much younger who've made extraordinary contributions. I mean, let's not forget John Howard came into politics exactly. very, very young, um, and he made an extraordinary contribution. So you know, to, to each their own. But uh, look, we try and all put ourselves in a position, hopefully, where we think we can make a difference, and it whatever field we're in, you know, um, I, I think we try and do that. And you get a bit of flack that comes the way, but I mean, what, what I deal with is nothing like, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that boils my bunny, and that is when I see the reports of how people attack police officers or paramedics or ambulance people, nurses in hospitals, um, I, I just, you know, you try and work on grace and forgiveness, mm. but... <laughs> When those things happen, you just shake the head and go, what are you Muppets doing? This is just, I mean, here, and my brother's told me the stories about what's happened, not, and not just to him, but to others, you know, a, a lot more, because he's more, he, he runs the education unit now, does a tremendous job, but he mentors a lot of young people um, who are, and I would just find that extra, here you are trying to put someone back together again, and you got people attacking you. Um, and so I suppose I, I, I keep perspective because I'm, I'm aware of these stories and I once asked my brother, and I hope he doesn't mind me talking about this on the radio, but about the time when, um, his daughter was, of you know, was, was young and I, if I hope I remember the story right, but, um, he was attending a scene where there was a, a girl about the same age and I asked him, I said, mate, how do you, how 
how do you process that? And he said, well, when you're at the scene, you're so focused on what you have to do, saving the life, that it doesn't sort of hit you at the moment. And then he said, but, you know, the fiery or the police officer that's standing behind you with the light shining on the scene, they're taking it all in right there and then. And so I will always have an enormous sense of respect for people who work as fireys, police officers, ambulances, nurses and others, because I have at least a, a sense of what they have to emotionally process. And, you know, that's why police officers, you know, struggle with depression. And uh, Andrew Scipioni is a good mate of mine, and he did a lot, I think, to help police in this area. And, you know, back in the day... That the way they deal with it um, was with a beer and a scotch or something, and you know that that produced its own problems. These days, there is much better support, I think, for people in these situations, just like there is for, you know, returning service men and women from um, uh, from Afghanistan and Iraq and so on. Um, and it's necessary because these guys, what what we do compared to what they do, chalk and cheese. I got one final question for sure, you. Mate. Politics, is it? Is it a machine or do you all go and hang out in the mothership down in Canberra or get invited <laughs> up to Point Piper and have just have a beer and just hang out and have a mag to the Prime Minister? Oh, well, he and I do that <laughs> because we've yeah, been friends a long it. time. Um, and I do it with, with colleagues as well. Um, uh, one or two uh, friends on the other side. Um, that's changed a bit. This last 10 years has probably been the most bitter in Australian politics than we've seen since the dismissal. Is that right? Yeah, it has. I remember I asked Philip Ruddock that one day. Uh, in the last parliament, I think it was. And as you know, Philip had been there since mm. before the dismissal. So he'd been around yep. a while. And I said to him, because things were pretty tense, in, uh, and, I, and I said, Philip, is this is the worst you've ever seen it? And he said, it was pretty bad after the dismissal. Um, members wouldn't even look at each other in the eye walking down the corridor after that. Now, there's been moments over the last 10 years where there's been so much disruption in politics on their side as well as, you know, significantly over the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd whole thing and you know there've been issues on our side in the past as well um but there has been it has been pretty bitter but like look i i think everyone goes there and i certainly hope they do you've got to make the assumption everyone goes there in good faith to try and do the right thing they're coming from different perspectives this is what i tell the kids when they come down to, par- to parliament house and they're all sitting down there and where they're getting their juices and their sandwiches and i'll say you've often seen us on television arguing with each other and raising our voices uh, and all that sort of thing but Understand that what we're arguing about is your future because we want your future to be the best it can be. And understand that everyone who comes here is is coming for that purpose. And so that might confuse you at times, but at the end of the day, you've got to make the assumption that they everybody at least came there with the right intention. Hopefully they have been able to keep faith with that over their time in Parliament. And uh, that's uh, something I you know I commit myself to every day. Scott Morrison, Treasurer for Australia. <laughs> that is fantastic. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks, Mark. And thanks for the work you're going to do. Looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.